Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day! Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Historical Radio for episode number one, triple three for Triple mm. R. For Triple R, yeah. <laughs> Our title is Zero G, 1,333 carriages long. Nice. <laughs> our, our podcast title is Podden Me Boy. Is that the Boon Tune Choo Choo? Setting out on track 29 here today with Snowpiercer Season 2. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. <laughs> I'm not sure. Are we working for hospitality or for the brakeman or for the breachman or are we just Wilfred, <laughs> Wilfred worshippers? I don't know. All right, so, and here I go once again mangling the title of the French graphic novel that started it all, <laughs> Le Transpersonnage, and it was created by Jacques Lobb and Jean-Marc Rochette and later added to by Olivia Bochet. It spanned four volumes from 1982 to 2015, was adapted into a feature film by Korean director Bong Joon-ho in 2013, and he was also the executive producer of the somewhat troubled in its genesis, but eventually successfully delivered television series Snowpiercer, of which two seasons are available on Netflix, with the second season still laying track as it drops weekly. Now, Josh Friedman and later Graham Manson were also developers of the series, and there was some Oh, sort of wrangling over that as they got rid of Josh Friedman and then transited to Graham Manson, mm-hmm. changed tracks, as it were. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we have the current series. We've seen one season. I've been watching the second season now, dropped on Netflix, of course, and it's set in 2021, seven years after a global cooling geoengineering fix went drastically wrong. Oof. And, of course, it lowered the world's temperature to well below freezing point. Now, back in the 80s, that actually was a trope, and you continue to see it in spite of the fact that the, the planet's actually warming generally. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you keep seeing these movies and shows where everything has undergone the big freeze. Yes. I guess it's cool to have that in a film, you know, it makes for some good opportunity. Cool. <laughs> Makes for some good opportunities for set design and so on. But, uh, yes, probably an unlikely scenario, we hope. Yeah. It would be just as easy to just go out into the desert and film it, you know? That's true. I guess it's not as, I don't know, they're trying to make it more um, different different style, I suppose. But they got sick of the old desert drama. Do you think it's like like there's this massive conspiracy? I mean, that's, you know, to convince people that things are actually cooling. Maybe. Well, it's all, it's always the things go in waves in terms of what's on vogue for the next apocalypse. It's like, you know, first it was comets and asteroids and then it was, you know, 
kaiju and then it's also zombie apocalypse and then a warming or cooling event is just another one of those, you know, take pick a card, any card for what's going to destroy humanity. <laughs> well, this is the thing. We've been covering a lot of these things on Zero G and it's not just – I defend our, I defend us. It's not just a predilection for apocalyptic visions. I mm, mean, no. I mean, of course it's not. <laughs> but, not just that. Not just that. But it does seem seem that that's trended that way on on mm-hmm. television. Yeah, I don't know why. Um, it, the zeitgeist of the times, I guess. Yeah, and it's the climate stuff these days. So yeah, I guess it is to in line with what society is fearing will will be the big. Second big bang, I whatever. Mm. So okay, it, it's gotten really, really cold. So cold that you can't live actually unprotected mm. outside. You essentially need what's uh, the equivalent of a spacesuit, mm-hmm. or you could be happily living aboard the last train, the Snowpiercer, which was a conversion of a luxury train designed and created by Mr. Joseph Wilfred, or was it? <laughs> And, of course, this was going to be a big vanity project, but because of the apocalypse, they had to convert it. It's a perpetual motion engine and not in the silly Billy sense. (laughs) At least I don't think it is. Uh, It has to keep moving in order to keep generating power. If the train stops for very long, they'll lose power. If they lose power, no heat which means Mm -hmm. everybody will freeze to death. And they are essentially, as far as we know so far in the series and the movie, the last survivors of the human race aboard this one train. Except at the end of the first season, and here we start with a few little spoilers, There, Mm -hmm. it was found that there was another train because Mr. Wilfred never boarded Snowpiercer. It was hijacked by his chief engineer, Melanie, played by Jennifer Connelly. And... She has pretended to be Mr. Wilfred all this time, speaking in a disembodied voice from the locomotive. So mm-hmm, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, it's thousands of characters long. It is a metaphor for society because you have the lower class, the tailies at the end of the train, and then you've got uh, first class and and second and third class, and it is a big metaphor for everything that's going on. And it also coincidentally is also an allusion to the pandemic because it's a bottle show. They're essentially stuck inside this train. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. And there's a great outside force that threatens to destroy them at any time. Mm. So here they are chuffing literally along across this <laughs> long track that goes around the entire planet. Mm-hmm. So they, they actually orbit the planet um, several times and – the idea is is great, you know. I mean, you can have all sorts yeah. of conflict, as we saw in the in the motion picture where Chris Evans was playing the hero aboard the Snowpiercer, as he often does. <laughs> he does love a good uh, hero role, but what a what a great film! And I think it's pretty cool. The concept has lived on in uh, another format on TV with new dangers and new things to unpack. Mm. Now, the first thing is that it's not the only train. There is Big Alice, the supply train, which Mr. Wilfred got on board. So, Mm. you know, it's all been very carefully worked out. And he has finally caught up with Snowpiercer and Mm -hmm. forcibly docked in another metaphor with the original train. And now there's a power struggle between the two trains. One train has become one and another train. So 
the big problem there is that Wilfred has a God complex and he wants to take control of the whole thing once again. In a way, he reminds me a little bit of an evil Willy Wonka. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's interesting, right? A vision, a very kind of um, big ego-driven vision and then the thirst for power at, at whatever cost, etc. Mm. Yes. Now, this this episode, episodic series, expands upon the movie. It's not. It's sort of a reboot of it. Yeah. Yeah. They're not really uh, following on from the original movie because that that was self contained, like all of these train things. And this one has got its own sort of track that it runs along, a, a side alternative line, if you like. And it's actually a quite beautiful show. I mean, they really go all out to create the visuals for this. And mm. there are some moments, like, for example, they go across the Himalayas and into the uh, the Himalayan roundabout, which is exactly what it sounds like. So you've got these thousands of carriages going in this big circle down, mm. down mm. this sort of gradient. So it's actually quite breathtakingly gorgeous. Mm. I, guess, mm. I guess, you know, the end of the world can be that way. That's probably why they're going with the snow. <laughs> yes. Well, that's true. It's got its own very romantic, quote, unquote, visual as well, right? The frost, the snow, fog, etc. Well, there was a revolution on board the old Snowpiercer, and I don't just mean the way the wheels rotate. There was a political shift as they went from the hypothetically top-down controlled hierarchy of Mr. Wilfred or his stand-in mm-hmm. being in charge to the Tailies revolting. They always were revolting, they say, and and taking control but trying to integrate the whole thing into a more democratic society, more, more equality for all. Well, Mr. Wilfred won't have a bar of that. He just wants to have his own sort of, I am mm. the man. <laughs> Predictably, yes. Yes. And so there's an enormous amount of conflict between the two trains in this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very complicated and it's too complicated to try and explain here all of the various factions, but it's very believable, I thought. Yeah. Hmm. You will find in this several different expansions of the series and they've done different things in this one. I won't get too specific about them because I don't want to get too spoilery. But anyway, uh, one of the characters, they, they do do a lot of uh, work with her. It's um, the character who is Miss Audrey. Mm-hmm. Now, now, she was the Shantuzi in the Snowpiercer's night car. So there was kind of a, a, a bit of prostitution and this very strange sort of uh, psychological, psychiatric healing that she was doing there. And mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what that's all about, but it was all to do with music, mm-hmm. <laughs> which gave them the opportunity to belt out some songs, which I'm sure David Dig, that old musical hoofer, would have enjoyed quite a lot. But in this case, um, Lana Hall, who plays Miss Audrey, she is actually a singer as well. So they did a lot of that. Uh, I'm not actually sure if this is her singing on this because I got this off um, a single. Uh, It's called Say It Ain't So, Joe, but it is a song that Miss Audrey does sing in the train. She, that is to say, Lana Hall, actually wanted to sing another song, um, a David Bowie song. 
Oh, that would have been perfect for us. It would have been perfect for us. Uh, and we do actually have that play later on, but we'll go with this Say It Ain't So, Joe, from Snowpiercer, and it's from an album called Geek Music. Hi, I'm Jani Wirtz, fantasy author and artist, and whether you walk in the shadows or the light, you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R. Say It Ain't So, Joe, from an album that's got the same title as that. I don't want to use that E word again. <laughs> we use it so many times. We'll leave, we'll leave that strange pony mouse alone for the moment. <laughs> and that song is as sung by Miss Audrey in the mm-hmm. night car aboard Snowpiercer, season two of which we are talking about here today on Zero G. Miss Audrey played by Lena Hall, an actor-singer whose full name is Glorious, Selena Consuela Gabriela Caraval. She has shortened her name so that it comes down to, it contracts down to Lena Hall from that marvellous name. And the funny thing is, this is her stage name, but she later found out that uh, Carafal is actually a stage name anyway. Oh. <laughs> so it took that like seven generations back or something, you know. <laughs> so she reckons, ah, it's all good. <laughs> so she's been in so many other things uh, on Broadway, uh, Cats, uh, 42nd Street, Dracula the Musical, Tarzan yeah. the Musical, The Toxic yeah. Avenger, <laughs> so many different things. So she actually leans into her role as the Shantuzi in the show. And mm-hmm. she has this extremely complicated, rather twisted and sick relationship, and that's all on the part of the other person on the side of the equation, which mm. is Mr. Joseph Wilfred, played by Sean Bean. Ah, old Beanie. Beanie, yes. He's back. Yes. Well, he's got more lives than a cat, obviously, and I remember Mm -hmm. the actor firstly in Richard Sharp, the uh, Bernard Cornwell novel series, the television show based on the Mm -hmm. adventures of the 95th Rifleman in the Napoleonic Wars. Of course, Mr. Bean (laughs) was Boromir in Lord of the Rings, and, of course, <laughs> in Game of Thrones as well. Well, he didn't play. Famous Ned Stark. Ned Stark, yes. <laughs> Go to the head of the class, Ned. <laughs> and has been in everything else ever since. Doesn't play a villain too often. No. He generally plays the friendly, well-meaning, you know, such and such who meets an untimely fate. <laughs> Yeah, he's playing the role that uh, Sean Connery was playing in his mid-career, you know, mentor, mm. yeah, doomed to die, will provide the uh, the the revenge motif for the film. Yes, the exactly, motivation film. for other characters to seek justice and so on. In this case, he is playing an out-and-out villain and he is so good at it. Um, Mr. Wilfred is quite a complex piece of work and possibly the best villain I've seen on screen since Kenneth Branagh did that horrible turn in Tenet. You know, oh, yeah. oh you know, if you think that was evil, Sean Bean is even more evil, <laughs> a classic villain. So he actually seems to relish it so much that you can't help but admire him. <laughs> You're thinking, are you going to go there? Oh, my God, you went there. No, just no. That is not what I want to see right now. They must have had so much fun doing this. Mm -hmm. Evil, wicked, terrible fun. And he's so avuncular too. You know, he's got his nice little 
accent going on there and, you know, it's just. Mm -hmm. Having a good time. Yeah. Relishing the villainy. Yeah. Just I appreciate it so much. (laughs) Me likes a good villain, I do. Anyway, um, he has a corrupting influence on every single person that he comes in contact with. And mm-hmm. he, is the, he is the subject of a personality cult because not only did he hypothetically rescue the survivors of the human race from sheer and terrible death, but he also has built into this whole train all of his own iconography. And it does yeah. become religious, you know, like the, mm. the, the big W on everything and it's on mm. the napkins, it's on the buttons, it's, yeah. it's everywhere. And until now, his actual presence was denied to the snow piercerians, but now he gets to come aboard because there's a bit of a truce. So there's all sorts of complications that spiral out from that. He's also looking after Melanie's daughter, who he rescued from the cold when she mm-hmm. couldn't. She could not be, do that because of reasons and themes. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, and, of mm-hmm. course, she's so she is so guilty as a mother because she feels, yeah. well, you know, uh, and this story also expands the action into the outside world. So right. Snowpiercer is very good on its train procedural and its apocalyptic mm. procedural and the socio-political mix inside of the train. But I always wanted to know what was going on in the rest of the world and we could mostly only see that from the train tracks, you know, the frozen skyscrapers, the ships on their side, uh, yeah. you know, all those sort of things and now we get to actually go outside of the Snowpiercer and see a little right. bit more of things. And That's they do bold. It is bold in the cold, but they also managed to do something with it that I thought was very clever. They transfer the bottle feeling of the show into the outside world. Wow, because, because okay. It, because it's kind of like doing little sort of EVA missions from a spaceship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and Jennifer Connelly really excels in that episode. I thought she was great in it. She's actually such a fine actress. I really wanted to see more of her in her career. I wanted yeah, to see her in all sorts of things. Well, she's she's still around, Rob. You still can. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, there's a Bowie connection there. Yeah, of course, the labyrinth. Yeah, and Lena Hall, who plays Miss Audrey, is a big Bowie fan, and so is Mister Wilfred. Mm. He actually has original vinyl that he plays aboard Big Alice, the second supply train. And I thought we'd play a track today. This is one that Lena Hall suggested that they play on the show in the nightclub, but they didn't actually do that as far as I know. That might come up later on. Uh, it's Five Years, which is an apocalyptic song from David Bowie. And this is Five Years by Lena Hall from her own album, Obsessed. Hello, my name's Sylvester McCoy. I play Doctor Who number seven, and you're listening to me, and you're also listening to Zero G on three Triple R FM. Yeah. In case you did. Put her whole heart in that. Did, didn't she? In case you didn't get it from the lyrics, that's five years. (laughs) (laughs) And Lena Hall, they're covering the classic David Bowie song about an apocalyptic vision of the world seen through the eyes of Ziggy Stardust and British science fiction of the vintage of mm-hmm. Day of the Triffids and War of the Worlds. Mm. Yeah. And when Hall plays the character Miss Audrey aboard the perpetual motion driven 
locomotive snowpiercer as it flashes through the frozen wildernesses of an alternate mm. 2021 Earth, mm-hmm. taking all our hopes and dreams with it. Oh, she's got a great voice. I mean, really, yeah. you know, it's just. Yeah. Now, we're talking about Snowpiercer, season, Snowpiercer, <laughs> sneezing too. <laughs> oh, you've, been, you've been sneezing in that cold. And it's a, it's a great show, really, the metaphor for our current boxed-in environment couldn't be more plain. And the environmental message is extremely important. Mm-hmm. It sometimes gets swept under the rug in the show, but you're always you're always aware that the cold mm. is there pressing in on the in exterior of the train like vacuum in space. And they're actually trying to adapt some of the people on board this train to the cold. Not mm. in the not in the terribly drastic way that we've grown accustomed to where they punish people by sticking their arm outside of the train into the cold. Mm until it freezes and then bashing it off with a hammer. Not that way, (laughs) but in in a way that's probably just as cruel in the long term. It's all to do with genetics and biology and and engineering. No, engineering of the human form. And and it results in this uh, cold warrior called Icy Bob. (laughs) So, you know, that's that's a, a thing that comes up quite literally, in this story. You know, I, I wandered down the train looking through the different carriages and the, and the many, many different characters. Um, <laughs> Aaron Glenane is playing The Last Australian. Oh, God. <laughs> and he's a he's a, a tailie originally from Perth. Oh, good. He's at least a real Australian. That's good. <laughs> he said his, it's, his last name is actually Murray, but nobody calls him that. <laughs> However, in Snowpiercer's season, season two, we discover that there is another Australian. So, Aussie, That's two. We, go, we go into the future. <laughs> so, they, they better actually find happiness together because, you know, otherwise that's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keep the legacy going. Yeah, yeah. How, how, how can you dance when the earth is burning? With cold in this case. Yeah, so another character I thought that they expanded upon quite nicely was Ruth Wardell, who was Melanie's deputy in hospitality. And she Mm -hmm. reminds me so much of the female master of ceremonies in The Hunger Games, you know, so much like that character. Alison, Alison Wright plays her. And originally, before all of this happened, she was running a bed and breakfast in Kendall, <laughs> and Mister Wilfred stayed there and scooped her up as her as his um, new sort of major domo aboard the train. Mm-hmm. I, I keep calling him I keep calling him Mister Wilfred, but I, I actually am trying to say Mister Wilfred. <laughs> I don't know. It, there's so many people in play in this that it's hard to keep track of them at times, even mm. if they, even if they are on a railway. <laughs> All right, so I think they've they've intelligently expanded upon her because she's had this role of sort of being too icy or too icy mm-hmm. uh, for such a long time, all this seven years, and now mm-hmm. she's got to try and come to terms with the fact that she wasn't really channeling 
Mr. Wilford all this time. <laughs> so now she's trying to be the glue that holds this disparate community together under right. circumstances that she hadn't even imagined would be possible. And mm. then along comes the original Mr. Wilford to pull her loyalties back to him. Yeah, guff it all up and confuse her. Yes, she is shunted to and fro across the tracks in this story. And I really feel for her. She's just trying to get things along. She's trying to keep things going. She's one of the doers on this Snowpiercer train. Mm. Now, this second season, as I said, there's a lot to explore in terms of having the second train come and attach itself to Snowpiercer. And there's a lot to find out about the outside world, which we are ready to find out by now after yeah. a whole season. If they kept that running a bit much you know, longer, we would have been sort of going, oh, you know. We're done here kind yeah. of. we've, Yeah, we've done as much as we can with this type of premise. So they've expanded it at the right time from what I can hear. Yes, I, I think it was exact, exactly the right time to do it. Okay, so I've enjoyed season two, what I've seen of it so far. I think I'm about seven episodes in. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always an interesting show. It's great mm. to look at. The set mm. designers have had so much fun as well as the uh, the set dresses too. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's very convincing. And all I can say is that the Snowpiercer perpetual motion engine must be really, really strong to haul all of this stuff along. Yeah, yeah. It's vivid. I mean, gosh, I, in part of me goes, if, if that happened, I would just freeze to death. I wouldn't want to be stuck on that tin can with all of that, you know, everything yeah. that comes with it. But um, it's a much less interesting story. Well, well, my tip is if you do go that way, make sure you do something funny. Freeze mm. some sort of funny. <laughs> a pose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then when the snowpiercer does go past full of all of its rich passengers, they see you out there in your little pose. Yes, actually, I'm sure when they go through Scotland, everybody sort of by the track is sort of uh, bending down, bearing their buttocks. <laughs> Other places they go past, people will be holding their thumb to their nose, and <laughs> it's a it's a thing. <laughs> All right, Snowpiercer season two is on Netflix at the moment. All right, another track will take us out of the frost. And into another apocalypse, I'm afraid. It is zero G after all. Yeah, and it's a lot less than zero G outside in the Snowpiercer universe. And so we'll warm ourselves up a little bit with a meteoric hit, the first shockwave by David Buckley from the motion picture soundtrack for Greenland, which we're talking about next. And it refers to the shockwave from Space Fragments, which hit poor old Earth. Hi, I'm David Zendel, author of the Lightstone Fantasy series, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRR FM. Yes, that was First Shockwave, and that is from the Greenland uh, soundtrack, and that was composed by David Buckley. So, yes, we are going out of the Snowpiercer and into a bunker, or at least we're trying to go into a bunker uh, and move to our next apocalyptic scenario. So we did check out the movie Greenland. It's currently on Amazon Prime, so you can pop on there and watch that at your leisure. So 
I think, I mean, Rob, this was, this was your suggestion, but I think it definitely caught my eye as well because it's a, um, you know, something's happening to the earth. We have to get to safety story from the trailers. It really portrayed itself a lot as, you know, a family centric, character centric kind of, uh, adventure. So the basic premise is it's a disaster film directed by Rick Roman War. And so it's gone through a couple of different iterations of uh, stars and directors, but we'll get to that in a minute. The iteration that we do get is starring Gerard Butler. So he's kind of our main, our family man, our dad, our, you know, the the hero of our family torn asunder story. And uh, he also was involved in producing this as well. So his wife is played by Marina Baccarin, who we know her from Firefly, of course, and she's also been in a variety of different Deadpool. She was in that as well. And, you know, we're familiar with her. So she plays the mother and wife in this scenario. And because the couple does have a son called Nathan. And so Nathan, oh, I don't know, he'd be what, like 10, some age, <laughs> something around that. Uh, and our story kind of starts out where Comet is heading to Earth and everyone news and reports say that it will be fairly harmless, just be some small matter that will fall to Earth and, you know, it's kind of a novelty. As you can probably guess, it's a little bit more serious. Shades of the Sean Connery movie I was discussing the other week, uh, Meteor. Mm, yes. So as the comets rush to Earth, uh, unfortunately, we realise that, uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty bad, actually, because one lands and decimates <laughs> the state of Florida pretty much. I don't think that's a spoiler because that's kind of where our story begins is where we realise that, uh-oh, um, you know, the world's probably going to end because this is much worse than we thought. And this small family who actually the um, – John and Alison, so Marina and Gerard Butler are separated. So sort of when the story starts, we get a little bit of their family drama and then it becomes about them trying to get to safety, trying to get into this program where they're going to be safely placed somewhere. But obviously things do not go to plan, unfortunately. And, uh, yeah, we head on about a two-hour journey that's very dark, in terms of the cinematography, very dark and uh, sort of harried and we run around trying to get to our conclusion. So, yeah, kind of a disaster movie but very much one that focuses. It's not about the Big Bang and explosion and this is what's happening in the world and news reports from everywhere and all of that big stuff. It's very much we're like we're pretty much following either John or Alison most of the time. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, this one, obviously, time frame, COVID had to be delayed and so on. And I think it was eventually uh, got its release on streaming, which wasn't the plan originally, but I think it did get a small release uh, outside of the States. And, and like I said, we can see it on Amazon Prime. So, yeah, I mean, what was your thoughts about this one? Was it was it what you were expecting? Well, as we discovered while we were looking at it, and I didn't know this, Chris Evans was originally going to play the male lead. Yes, so <laughs> I had I had thought maybe that's why you'd chosen it. So, yes, Chris Evans was attached. 
couple of years back and originally Neil Blomkamp of District 9 fame was going to be directing from the same screenplay. But then, you know, things shuffled, Blomkamp was no longer going to direct and then things kind of shifted. Um, Rick Roman War, the director, replaced came in and then Gerard came in and I would say it would have been interesting to see what a film directed by Blomkamp with Evans in the lead role would have been like. But, yeah, it kind of pivoted a bit and became, uh, yeah, what we see today. Well, they did re- retain another Marvel connection apart from Morena, who was Vanessa in uh, the Deadpool movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Glenn plays Allison's father and he was Stick, Daredevil's mentor. Yes, of course. I thought I'd recognised him. Yeah, so we do get some fringe, you know, family and there's some emotional scenes and things. And yes, we do see Alison's dad as well. I mean, insofar as a disaster film for me, I don't mind if we focus on characters. I actually don't mind if we go on a bit of a journey. I mean, there's a lot of kind of dramatic scenes A lot of things happen as we try to get to our final destination. We come across some different characters that hold us up in different ways and, you know, good people that help us and people that are Mm. have some less rosy intentions and it's meant to kind of be about the desperation of this kind of situation, right? But I did just find some parts of it were a bit shrill. I don't know. There's lots of screaming, but I guess (laughs) that's what it would be like. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I, um, I think you could f- probably imagine there probably would be a little bit of screaming. <laughs> but, like, lots of shrieking yeah. and lots of, like, hysteria. And I get it. That's that's kind of, you know, but I want it to be a bit emotional. I felt some of this hysteria was very, was a bit more annoying than emotional for me. Well, of course, this is a world where they don't have the Avengers ready to swoop in to save them. It's well, like, this is it. It's pretty much just take cover. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately. Yeah. In this case, um, I think that the, the, the film's strength is its fast pace. Mm, good point, yeah. It's it's video game paced and they mm. seldom slow down long enough for you to start seeing the holes in the plot. Yes, yeah, yeah. And the family drama is strong. I'll give them that they focused upon that. The only part that I really hate is the fact that it's a broken family once again. Yeah. You know, it, what does that add? In this case, it adds absolutely nothing because yeah, I, I agree. they cleave together so quickly at the start. It's almost like they've fast forwarded, mm. you know. If, if you miss, I think, probably one scene, you wouldn't even realise they were really separated pretty much like there's one scene and then maybe a comment from the dad Allison's dad but otherwise they behave you know we don't go on a journey with them there's no payoff in terms of that character motivation or that emotional side that you know they've kind of set it up and they're not done much with it because you're right pretty much straight off we're just you know behaving like a unit again I've I've heard this described as uh, a little bit like uh, Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds because there's a bit of a journey in it that the characters undergo through the apocalyptic landscape with everybody panicking around them. And I, I feel I feel that um, Blomkamp would have addressed that more. There are some moments, mm-hmm. like, for example, when Butler's character is trying to get phone reception and climbs up a, a fire escape onto the roof of a building and there's mm-hmm. a bunch of people partying on as the end of the world comes down upon them. And mm. that, that's got that sort of like, 
surreal escape from New York kind of feel to it, which is a very specific thing. I don't, and I felt that they got that, but they didn't lean into it enough. Yeah, you would have liked to see a little bit more fleshed out around the edges that would have at least given us a fuller experience. No, I do agree. It very much, you're right about the pace. Thank goodness we weren't loitering around and waiting for stuff to happen. It was very much, the momentum was good. But I do think we missed a bit of world building. I don't know if world building is the right word. Like I don't <laughs> need, I don't need a full on view of of world stuff. And I know this is meant to be very much about these characters in this situation. But a little bit more about time and place maybe would have helped. Yeah. So it, it. I mean, there are good things here for sure, and it did engage me. I will say I wasn't expecting to be as engaged as I was in some parts of it. And towards the end, it gains a little bit extra. But, you know, as far as your apocalypse movies or your disaster movies, it's not, it wouldn't be a go-to for me. No, I I prefer the more sonorous, some say, plotting (laughs) tones of Deep Impact, which I thought was a very impressive film in this genre. That's that's the one I was thinking of, to be honest, because I know Deep Impact and um, Armageddon came out around the same time and, you know, it was very much who likes which one better and Deep Impact was always my preferred. Mm. You know, I think about what that movie gave me and even Armageddon, it was over the top. The bit where Bruce Willis pushes him out of the elevator and sacrifice, oh, I mean spoilers, sacrifices himself. I think, you know, you get moved. I don't think there was any... Anything that really got me got me going in this. Yeah. But it's certainly entertaining enough to sit down in front of the streaming and just go for it. You know, that sometimes yeah. that's what you're after. So I, I, yeah. I wouldn't say it's like a, uh, oh, my God, yeah, this is like um, 2012, the Emmerich Brothers one. Oh, yes. Which, yep, was, yep, yep. which was exciting and, and silly and glorious and all of that. So it's not, mm, a, not, mm. not at that level. This is a more believable sort of apocalypse. It's very serious. It's taking itself very seriously. This isn't a tongue-in-cheek, balls-out apocalypse. This is a very intimate character study. Everybody's really got their serious drama faces on. (laughs) And once again, it it does peddle that particular trope that you can drive your way in an automobile out of an out of the worst trouble. You know, it is yeah. it is such a – it's an Australian idea too, but it's certainly an American one. Yeah, yeah. If you find yourself travelling down those mean highways on Route 666, then you just keep travelling. If you're going through hell, don't stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't pull over for anyone. Yeah. I think it is what it is. It is interesting to see disaster movies – do something a little different. And I understand this was trying to be much more about this family portrait. So yeah. I do respect what it was trying to do. Um, some stuff missed the mark, but I, I think you're right. You could pop it on for an evening, make some popcorn, you know, just a couch movie at home if you're in the mood for something like this. And you know what, Gerard Butler, there's a reason why he's ubiquitous as an action hero. He, he is actually quite watchable. And also Morena is the person that you want to watch in anything at all, whether she's playing a, a lizard in V or, you know. Yeah, that's right. No, she's. I think she's really watchable and I think she has a really nice quality to her. So I, and you're right, Gerard puts 100% into everything he does. So I, I do give, give it respect in, in terms of that. But it's not going to rock your world. It's not going to be the equivalent <laughs> of, a, of a comet coming from the sky for you. But, uh, yeah, decent 
decent engaging, bit of action, bit of drama. May actually rock your world when you think about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That was uh, Greenland on Amazon Prime, the latest and greatest in uh, apocalypse films of the something coming from outer space variety, not the the climate is freezing over variety. So we do mix it up on Zero G. You can't say we don't mix up our content. (laughs) Zero G, variations upon an apocalypse. (laughs) Exactly. All right, well, look, I was going to have a chat about another show that's on at the moment on Netflix, but time is slipping away from us. So I think I actually only have really time to mention it, Uh, and it's called Pacific Rim, The Black, and that Mm -hmm. refers to the blackout of the continent of Australia. So this is an Uh animated sequel to the two Pacific Rim movies where Australia is overwhelmed by Daikaiju attack and they abandon the continent. They evacuate it. But, of course, there are survivors everywhere and it's just an amazing show and I'm I'm watching it with keen interest. It's kind of like Attack on Titan and Neon Neon Genesis Evangelion and all these other things all at once thrown in together. Uh, and we will expand upon that later. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I think I'm enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got giant robots battling giant monsters in the Australian country. Oh, world. yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. what more could you? And it has road warriors too. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> All righty. So to uh, riff off of that, I thought we might play the end title theme or actually one of the main songs from the old Neon Genesis Evangelion. Mm-hmm. And this is by Shiro Sagisu and Yoko Takahashi. And this is A Cruel Angel's Thesis, the director's edit version. Yeah, so I thought we'd uh, go out with that today on Zero G. And that's about it for the show today. <sighs> It's quick when you talk an apocalypse. It does, it does. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And thank you to Kayla, our podcaster. And we leave you with Neon Genesis Evangelion's A Cruel Angel's Thesis and Joe Brunetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.